Postal Publishing, The Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Hi, everybody. It is your favorite author slash mailman back again. This is Christopher Chapman for the Going Postal Cast, and this is Incarceration, episode number four. We are already four episodes in, which means... We are at least seven chapters in. Whoa, we're just moving right along with this thing. Just so you know, there's 48 chapters in incarceration, so we still have quite a ways to go, so don't think that we're just going to run through all the chapters and I'm not going to have anything for you. We have plenty to go yet, so there's still lots of episodes, and not every episode is going to feature two chapters. We're going to have some that do feature one chapter, because I have a couple of chapters that are pretty long. So, how are all of you doing? I hope you are doing well. I just want to point out that everything's going really well here. Uh, We had a little bit of a problem last week with last week's episode, and I thank you for those of you who contacted me and let me know that Chapter 6 had a little bit of a volume issue. I took care of it. That was actually a chapter, if you follow me on Twitter, that's twitter.com slash goingpostalpub. I had an issue a while back where I accidentally, oops, sorry, deleted chapter 6. Not sure how that happened, but it was missing. I went back, I recorded it a second time, and, well, there was a volume issue with it when all the editing and whatnot got done, and when I put it in there, it was really quiet. Instead of recording it all over again, I decided to try getting the best of both worlds I increased the volume on it, and but that kind of created a problem in which the the vocals were really kind of crunchy and they just didn't sound right. There was a lot of bass to it, so I had to kind of tweak it a little bit and come up with a, a happy medium. So lost a slight bit of quality, but the volume's back up, and I re-released the episode, so it's out there. If uh, you had a problem with the episode, had a problem hearing Chapter 6, just uh, go back to your feed. You probably have already seen it on your feed. Uh, it is fixed. The volume issue is fixed the last I checked of it. So now a few updates about what has gone on in the past week. Well, I am just hard at work on the incarceration audiobook. <sighs> Frustrating is the nicest word I can say right now. I try not to curse too much in these intro parts and outro parts. And I'm going to not swear in right now. Rest assured, I want to, though. So, I have completed a bunch of chapters. I have so far recorded 22 of the 48 chapters. The problem with this? I wanted it done a long time ago. It's just not working. So, I am really trying to get it done. I'm trying to do at least two chapters a day, which is sometimes really hard to do. But I am plugging away at it, and I'm trying to get it done as quickly as possible. So, I'm going to do all of you a little bit of a favor. And this goes for all of you who have already pre-ordered it. 
I'm lowering the price. There were some obvious audio issues when I was recording it in the first place. I've cleaned them up the best I can, and I think I have a pretty decent product here, but I'm just not content selling it for $10. Even though $10 is still quite a bit cheaper than a lot of other things, but I've decided to drop the price in half. That's right, $4.99 for the audiobook. Those who have already paid the $9.99 or the $8.50 when it was uh, cheaper, I had a little sale going on, you will be refunded the price until it gets down to $4.99. So that is just an incredible deal. And I am just so happy to give it to you. I'm really still hoping to have it out by the end of October, but it might push into the first week of November just because I have a few surprises coming for you and I need the time to work on them. So you're going to know about that hopefully in the next week or two. Well, you're definitely going to know about it in the next week or two. I can't speak a whole lot about it right now. I'm kind of working on it in secret, but I will talk about it more when the time comes. It's, we can just say it's a little special present for all of you. So I think I've rambled on just about enough. I'm going to get into the actual book, and we are going to start with Chapter 7 of Incarceration. I'll be back after the episode to just do the usual promotion and get out of here, so enjoy Incarceration. Chapter 7 While Jason Rangel was telling his parents that he hated them, Niagara's Chief of Police, Randy Thompson, was walking into the Dickinson County Hospital, located across the bridge in Iron Mountain, Michigan. He was very optimistic that he was going to get answers for his questions, mainly to what the murder weapon was. He walked through the emergency room, taking a moment to see the young man in the room to his left. He paused momentarily, thinking that he looked familiar. It couldn't have been the kid he initially thought it was. This kid looked as if he'd been in a barroom brawl. Doctors surrounded him, trying to sew up several lacerations on his face. Whatever had happened, he took a hell of a beating. He found the man he was looking for, Dr. Armacardi, near the rear of the emergency department. He was sitting at a desk going over a small stack of paperwork. He looked up from his papers long enough to see the chief and gave a smile that seemed to have been more out of despair than anything else. Randy paused and asked, What's wrong? You better come with me, Dr. Armacardi said as he got up from his paperwork. I'll escort you to the morgue. The Dickinson Memorial Hospital building is very old. Built in 1919, it has a deep basement that once could have served as a fallout shelter if there had been a nuclear attack. The fallout shelter later became the county's morgue. Any and all autopsies in Dickinson County, as well as the surrounding areas, are held in this facility. Randy followed Dr. Armacardi down a set of old, cracked concrete stairs. The morgue was located at the end of a low-lit corridor surrounded by stone walls. At first, Randy couldn't see anything. He needed time for his eyes to adjust. When they did, he saw that there was a group of police officers at the end of the hall just outside the autopsy room. What's going on? Randy asked, his curiosity piqued. You'll find out in a few seconds, Dr. Armacardi replied flatly. Randy's internal warning system flared to life. Sirens blared in his mind, telling him that something was terribly wrong. What in the hell could have happened down here? His eyes scanned the scene. He saw the officers and what they were looking at. 
The door to the autopsy room was hanging at an awkward angle. The elevator looked dented and useless. Scenarios raced through his mind at a rapid speed as the scene pieced itself together in his mind. He determined that something opened the autopsy room's door when it was locked, partially ripping it off its hinges. The bodies, he whispered. He walked faster, leaving Dr. Armacardi behind. What do we have here? One of the officers, a young officer he'd never met, asked as he approached Randy. Who told the inbreeds from across the Menominee about the situation? Another officer looked up. This was Lieutenant Brian Leonard of the Iron Mountain Police Department. His eyes met Randy's, then turned his gaze on the younger officer. You keep your mouth shut, Sutter, Leonard said, causing the youngster to look as if he'd been struck in the face. He then turned back to Randy, extending his hand. Young guys don't know how to show any respect to other officers in uniform. Sorry about that. Not a big deal, Randy replied, although he did feel a little resentment towards the other officer. He wondered if he was going to have to keep an eye on him. He shrugged off the thought. None of that mattered. What mattered was what was happening with the Norman's bodies. Something strange was occurring right before his eyes, and nobody had the courtesy to tell him what was happening. Would somebody please tell me what's going on, Randy said to Leonard. Leonard looked at him for a moment with no visible change in emotion. Then, sadness filled the officer's eyes, and Randy concluded that the news was worse than he'd first imagined. The Norman bodies are missing, he said flatly. Randy didn't know what to say. Of all the things he could have considered, the bodies missing wasn't one of them. He'd become certain that the examiner had discovered that the weapon that had killed the Normans had been used in other murders in other towns. How could this have happened? Randy asked, having trouble speaking the words. Nobody's sure, Leonard said. There's no video here and nobody saw anything. It's almost like the bodies got up and walked out. It's more likely that somebody snuck down here and took the bodies. I've got a feeling that this murder was far bigger than any of us believed, with far more implications. Randy didn't care how big it was. He wanted his bodies, and he wanted them right now. How could they let something like this happen? He felt powerless and sick to his stomach. If Leonard was right, he'd been close to having evidence that would help put away a much bigger fish in a much broader sea. How close had he been? How could this have helped his career? He didn't want to think about it anymore. The bodies were gone, and with them, so was any chance of solving this crime. Whoever was responsible for this would likely get away with it unless a clue was discovered at the house. He knew just how unlikely that was. If somebody was careful enough to break into a morgue and steal bodies, he was thorough enough to make sure that he cleaned up any evidence he may or may not have left behind at the crime scene. Randy's only hope would be if a fingerprint had been missed. He passed Leonard on his way into the morgue. Leonard tried to stop him, but Randy wanted no part of his restraint. He was determined to get down to the bottom of this as soon as possible, no matter the cost. Inside the morgue were a group of three officers working diligently. One was rushing for Prince while the other searched the room over inch by inch. Randy stopped, knowing that these officers were doing the jobs they were supposed to. He turned and looked at the door as Leonard came up beside him. Randy dropped down to his knees and examined the knob. A dirty handprint was visible on the chrome knob. It had been dusted already. Who lifted this print? Randy asked. I did, 
called the officer that was continuing his search for fingerprints, he didn't turn his head to face Randy. Has it been sent to the lab for any possible matches? They're doing their jobs, Leonard said, sounding sympathetic. I know, Randy said, getting back up to his feet. I just want to nail the son of a bitch that did this so bad. We all do, Leonard assured. We live less than five miles apart. What affects Niagara affects Iron Mountain and vice versa. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that we find the person who did this. A call came over the radio. Leonard lifted his radio to his ear and stepped away from Randy. The sound was loud, but hard to make out. Leonard had obviously become used to it, otherwise he wouldn't have lifted something so loud up to his ear. Randy watched as Leonard's face turn from calm to anger and confusion. Something was wrong. Randy could feel the rest of his case slipping out from under him. How could it have all gone so wrong so fast? Leonard put down the radio and walked towards Randy with that look of defeat on his face. We had a match on the partial handprint almost immediately, Leonard said. Randy became excited. He couldn't figure out how Leonard could be disappointed when they had a clue. He should have been happy, not sad. The print belonged to Brian Normand, Leonard said, knocking the wind out of Randy's sails. He was picked up two weeks ago for disorderly conduct. He was trying to fight somebody at a bar and was picked up by one of my officers. We got his prints then. They were a perfect match to the print on the knob. The room became silent as Randy attempted to process this information. He wanted to know how Brian's prints could have made it onto the doorknob. Had the man who stole the bodies gone through the trouble of using his hand to open the door? It seemed highly unlikely, but appeared to be exactly what he'd done. But why? Was he that cautious? Maybe the killer was a professional that took very good care of covering his ass. The questions flew through his mind at the speed of light. He couldn't stop the torrent of information and confusion. He tried desperately to make sense of it all, but found the task to be all but impossible. It was obvious that the case was over. It had blown up in his face. All of the evidence in the world wouldn't be of any use to him without the bodies, or the weapon that killed them. You have no idea how difficult of a situation this is, Leonard said, placing a hand on a Randy's shoulder. This happened right under my nose, and I'm sorry for that. Rest assured, we are going to devote as much manpower to this as we possibly can. We'll help you any way that we can. Randy heard some of the words, but ignored most of it. His mind was off on a journey of confusion. He was unable to devote his entire attention to Leonard, knowing that nothing he said could make the situation any better. I'm going to go now, Randy said, walking towards the exit with his hands at his side, his shoulders drooping and his eyes staring towards the floor. He felt defeated. Let me know if you come up with anything. Leonard didn't say anything in response. He stayed quiet as Randy walked away. Randy knew that there was nothing left to say. He was considering going home and getting some sleep. He didn't realize that the case wasn't over. In fact, the case was about to break wide open. Chapter 8 Blood, Guts, Flesh, and Bone Vivid images swirled through Jason's mind, each more frightening than the previous. He was scared, more scared than he could bear, but couldn't do anything to stop these images. He knew that he was asleep, but found that he couldn't wake himself up. This is all a dream, he said to himself as an ancient face with large, sharp teeth appeared before him. This is all a dream. He sat up in bed quickly, 
finally pulling himself out of his dream. He wasn't surprised to find that it had become dark in his room. He turned onto his side and looked at the alarm clock. There were only a few more minutes until midnight. He listened to the house. All was quiet. Knowing his parents as well as he did, he suspected that his parents had been in bed for a little over an hour. He grimaced with pain. His knuckles ached and throbbed to the beat of his heart. Why did he have to hit Nathan so hard? Remembering what he'd done to Allison gave him the answer. The pain was worth it. As he was finally starting to calm again, an image of the wolf-like fangs appeared in his mind, startling him. He pushed the image away the best he could, forcing it into the back of his mind. He refused to think about the images. He couldn't allow himself to go down that path again. Once he got thinking about them, he wouldn't be able to get back to sleep. School or no school, he needed to get his sleep. When he figured out that sleep wasn't going to be happening, he decided to get up for a while. He sat up, sliding his feet out from underneath the blankets and allowing them to touch against the cool carpet. He rubbed his eyes with the palms of his hands, trying to regain his senses. His mind retraced the events of the day. He remembered how he had fought Nathan Paulson, argued with his principal, then his parents. He remembered what he'd said just before racing upstairs. He'd said that he hated his mother and father. That wasn't true. Now that he calmed down, the words seemed juvenile and unnecessary. He contemplated waking his parents up to tell them that he was sorry about saying those terrible words. It'll have to wait until morning, he whispered to nobody but himself. He lied back down and was about to slide his feet back under the blankets when he heard something in the hallway. He looked towards the door, almost expecting to see a shadow underneath the door, but saw nothing. It was as dark in the hallway as it was in his room. He heard the sound again. It was the sound of a creaking board. By the sound of it, somebody had stepped about three feet away from his room, heading towards his mother and father's room. Judging by the loudness of the creak, he figured that it was his father. The bathroom was located across the hall from his room. He determined that his father was coming out of the bathroom. Normally, he would have heard the toilet flush. The creaking continued, moving away from him slowly. He thought about how strange it was to hear his father moving that slowly. He knew his father, and knew that he wasn't the kind of man to worry about whether or not he would wake somebody up walking down the hall. Something wasn't right here. His mind raced with possibilities, but settled on the thought that his father may be feeling every bit as guilty as he was about the fight. He slid back out of bed and walked towards his bedroom door. He opened the door slowly and peeked out. He couldn't be certain, but there was somebody standing in the hallway, walking slowly towards the bedroom. He squinted, trying to force his eyes to focus on the shadowy figure. He stared for several seconds, trying to figure out who or what he was looking at. The figure stopped mere inches from the door. It turned slowly, looking back towards Jason. He felt his chest tighten as the figure stared back at him with eyes that seemed to reflect red light. Those eyes reminded him of something from his dreams. He held his breath and remained absolutely still. Whatever or whoever this thing was scared him more than anything else he'd ever seen, even more than the dreams. He wanted him, it, gone, but didn't want him, it, coming any closer to him than he, it, already was. The figure turned back towards his parents' bedroom and disappeared into the darkness. It wasn't until the figure had been devoured completely by the darkness of night that he finally let out a breath of air. The sudden silence was excruciating for him. He kept expecting to hear something, anything, while he watched, but no sound came. Correction, 
The only sound he could hear was small, but unmistakable. He heard the raspy snarl of his father snoring. The snoring was interrupted when something struck against the bed. A loud thud, followed by moving footsteps, erased the silence. As concern sank in, Jason suddenly wished that the silence would return. The footsteps moved closer until the light to his parents' room came to life. Bright yellow light flowed out of the room, casting two large shadows into the hallway. From Jason's vantage point, he could still see what was happening. A shriek louder than anything Jason could comprehend was followed by his father's shout. There was anger and hatred in his yell, far worse than he'd expected from him. Jason knew that he should run to his father, but found that he was stuck where he was. It was as if glue covered the bottom of his feet. His father appeared in the hallway, running towards him as the bedroom light exploded into sparks, leaving them once again in absolute darkness. As Jason's eyes adjusted to the darkness once more, his father entered the bathroom and rummaged through the closet. He reappeared a few seconds later with something in his hands. Jason couldn't see what it was, but thought that it resembled a pair of scissors. In the small amount of light, his father looked at Jason with a face that appeared to be dying. His face sagged and looked upset. I think she's dead, he said in a voice that carried no feeling. He grabbed Jason with his free hand. I saw him kill her. He killed her with... His hand went to his mouth as if he were holding back vomit. My God. In Jason's confusion, he nearly asked his father who she was. He knew the answer, though. There was only one she in the house, and that was his mother. I think she's dead, he'd said. That meant that his mother was dead. Come with me, son, his father said, taking hold of his hand with the hand that wasn't holding the scissors. Come with me and kill the son of a bitch that killed your mother. Jason found that he couldn't say anything as he followed his father and his death grip. They moved slowly towards the bedroom, careful about where they stepped. As they approached, the darkness became thicker and darker until Jason could no longer see his father or the hand that held him tight. Jason placed his other hand against the wall, feeling out their path. His hand touched the corner where the wall became a doorway into the bedroom. They were about to enter the room and whatever lied within. He'd already thought about it, but he now fully understood what was happening. She was dead. His mother, the woman who had given birth to him a mere 17 years ago, was dead. Somebody had murdered, or was in the process of murdering his mother. The idea somehow seemed unrealistic, but was the most frightening thing he ever felt. He wanted to turn and run, but found that he couldn't. He was here with his father, and together they were going to make this bastard pay. The images from his dreams kept coming back to the surface as a warning, but were quickly discarded as familiar anger started to bubble up inside him, comforting him like the warm embrace from an old friend. This bastard was going to die, even if he had to do it with his bare hands. They entered the bedroom slowly, careful not to make too much noise. Jason listened, thinking that he could hear something coming from the bed. He couldn't be certain. Seeing as all noise had ceased, and all that could be heard was their own breathing and footsteps. Die, you bastard! His father called out, letting go of Jason. Jason couldn't see anything, but knew that his father had lunged forward to attack the intruder. Jason stood his ground as a warm wetness sprayed across his face. It felt like a warm mist of rain. The shock of it caused him to scream out in surprise. His mind searched for possible causes. What were the possibilities? He didn't know. 
All at once an idea entered his mind so frightening and disturbing that he thought he would scream. It was blood. He was ready to panic. It was then that his mind filled in the rest of the story. It wasn't just any blood. It belonged to the intruder. He was certain that his father had struck the intruder, causing blood to splatter. It was disturbing, but he considered it a good thing. Dad, did you get him? Jason asked. There was only silence. Dad! The silence continued. With every passing second, Jason became more frightened. He knew that his father would have answered him if he were able to. Something grabbed hold of the front of his shirt, forcing another scream out of him. He tried to step back, but found himself against the wall. He couldn't move as something tried to pull him near. Jet, a voice said out of the darkness. The voice was weak and sounded as if it were being spoken through liquid. Yet the voice was familiar. It belonged to his father. Dad, Jason called. He waited for an answer, but received none. He heard something strike the floor. Jason dropped to his knees, feeling around. His father was down there somewhere. His hands felt an old, ratty carpet that needed to be replaced. He continued moving, spreading his arms apart in as large of an arc as he could manage. Suddenly his hands came upon an area in the carpet that was wet. It was also warm. He was near his father. He moved another six inches and felt skin. He moved more quickly, feeling at what he was touching. It was hard to know what part of his father he was touching, but he thought it might be his arm. He moved down what he believed to be his left bicep, coming to his elbow. From there, he followed the forearm until he took hold of one of his father's hands. He loosened the grip almost instantly, realizing that something else was wrong. He could feel skin all around his hand. He moved around, covering his hands in even more warm blood. Something grabbed Jason from behind, lifting him in the air. He flew across the room as if he'd been catapulted, stopping only when he came into contact with the wall he'd backed into just a minute before. His body exploded with pain, making him forget about the pain in his knuckles, and the air left his lungs in a mighty wheeze. Dad, he said, although it came out more as a croak than any actual words. Mom, still more croaking. He found that he'd lost the ability to speak. Somebody or something was standing over him. He could feel it. He sensed a presence that was so cold that it made his skin explode with goosebumps. It was as if an icy cold ball of energy resided just beyond his touch. The image of bloody fangs returned. He shoved the thought away, trying to focus on the dilemma at hand. He struggled to get his hand underneath him, trying desperately to get himself up to his feet. He needed to get back to his feet. That was the only way that he would live through this. His mother was dead. His father was also dead, or dying. He didn't want to be the next victim. His right hand touched something cold and metallic. He nearly screamed in surprise. It took a moment for his find to register what it was. They were the scissors his father had brought with him as a weapon. They had been knocked from his father's hand at some point. He grabbed the scissors. They were the only defense he had against the intruder. He strained, pushing at the floor with all of his strength. He felt his knuckles crack and bleed as the skin split. The pain was unbearable. It took all of his determination to block out the pain. Finally, as if he'd overcome some unknown obstacle, his body responded and he found himself back on his feet. He stood motionless, trying to listen to his surroundings. There was a killer in here somewhere. 
He needed to figure out where the intruder was. He couldn't take any chances. The doorway leading out of the bedroom had a grayish, murky light that allowed him to pinpoint a possible escape route. He was less than two feet away from escaping the bedroom. He could do this. He gripped the scissors tightly as he took his first step. The floor creaked underneath him. He stopped and listened, but heard nothing. There was no sound from either of his parents, and the intruder was as still as a statue. Jason couldn't confirm if he was still in the room with him. He cautiously took another step, then another. He found himself in the hallway. He began walking quickly, knowing that the killer could be right behind him. He turned his head, looking back at the black pit that was the bedroom that his now dead parents shared. The idea of their deaths was already planted in his mind, yet he failed to really grasp at it as his survival instincts grew in intensity. Nothing mattered as much as him getting out of this alive to fight another day. He somehow knew that this was the most important thing, and it was exactly what they would have wanted. He turned his head again, knowing that he was coming to the start of the stairs. He stopped in horror as he saw that his route was blocked. A man, possibly the killer, stood at the top of the stairs, covered in shadow. It was extremely difficult for Jason to make out any features on the man, but knew that he was being smiled at. I cannot let you leave, the man said in a voice that sounded more snake than human. You must stay and join your parents. Death has come for you. Welcome, death, with open arms. Jason felt something in the voice that was persuasive and somewhat hypnotic. He found himself wanting to die. It was unlike anything he'd ever felt before. He walked slowly towards the man, feeling as if he were in a trance. The man smiled at him with teeth that were several inches too long to be human. It was as if his mouth was packed with large, razor-sharp animal teeth. Something inside of him awoke with a fury. The dream about the teeth brought him out of it. Then his anger, which had stayed relatively quiet up to this point, exploded outwards, demanding to be heard. This man had killed his parents and was about to kill him. Why in the hell was he going to allow this man, if he were a man at all, end his life without so much as a fight? He lunged forward, swinging the scissors out. The scissors pierced into the killer's chest as if he were made of butter. The killer howled in pain, his mouth opening wide to expose those inhuman teeth. Jason saw an opportunity, pushing against the intruder while he fought to remove the scissors from his chest. The scissors slid out easily, the intruder's body making a sloppy sucking sound as it did. As the scissors came free, the intruder looked at Jason with eyes that burned with an intense hatred. They weren't the eyes of a human, however. The eyes that stared back at him were bloodshot and belonged to that of a wild animal. Knowing that he needed to do something drastic, Jason lifted his right leg and kicked the intruder in the chest. He looked at Jason in surprise as he moved backwards, lost his balance, then tumbled down the stairs. Jason heard a loud cracking sound as the intruder's spine snapped. His body continued to fall and contort as each step ravaged his body more than the last until coming to a rest at the bottom of the stairs in a crumpled heap. Seeing an opportunity to escape, Jason raced down the stairs, taking them two at a time. He stopped on the final step, looking down at the body lying there. He couldn't believe that he'd stabbed this man, then kicked him down the stairs. He killed him. 
yet found that he felt no remorse. This poor excuse for a living being deserved what he got. His death wasn't even close to the retribution Jason needed for what he had done to his parents. He stepped over the body and continued towards the front door. As he placed his hand on the knob, he heard something from behind him. His first thought was that one of his parents was still alive, that they were attempting to follow him out of the house. He turned and looked at the stairs, which were still empty. What was causing the noise? There, at the bottom of the stairs, the killer was trying to get back to his feet. Jason shook with fear. He'd killed the man. He was sure of it. He knew that he had stabbed him in the chest with a pair of scissors and kicked him down the stairs, breaking his spine in the process. The man should have been dead twice over, yet here he was trying to get back to his feet. It wasn't the most graceful process. The killer was trying to get back to his feet with a body that looked as if it had been twisted like a towel, trying to get excess moisture out. He was twisted in multiple spots, with arms and legs that bent at awkward angles. It was as if a four-legged spider was using its legs to push itself up. Jason had seen enough. The image before him was more than his sanity could handle. He screamed, opened the front door, and ran into the yard. He raced across the wet grass in bare feet, nearly slipping in the dew at one point, but managing to keep himself upright. He knew that he would be dead if he fell. That killer, that thing, would be behind him at any moment. He was sure that it was closing the gap on him, wanting to kill him the same way he'd killed his parents. He saw a pair of headlights in the distance, turning onto his street. He turned, knowing that this car may be his only hope. He ran as fast as he could, feeling the hardness of the blacktop underneath his feet. Rocks and shards of glass stabbed into the bottom of his feet, causing him immense pain. He took little notice, as survival became his biggest priority. The car was less than 50 feet away. He turned his head, looking behind him. The coast was clear. Whoever or whatever that was, it wasn't behind him any longer. As the car in front of him became recognizable, he believed the worst was over. He'd never been more wrong. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed it. We're getting to some really good stuff right now. And it's a really good time to be listening in and finding out what Jason Wrangle is up to. So, as you know, it is time to do a little bit of pimping, a little bit of selling, a little bit of, hey, like me. That's right, like me, facebook.com slash Publishing. You can also follow me on Twitter. I say all kinds of crazy things. Like, as of the day I'm recording this, I tried to find out what Honey Boo Boo is. What the F is Honey Boo Boo? I have no clue. I was listening to a different podcast, heard them mention something about Honey Boo Boo. I took to Twitter, WTF is Honey Boo Boo. Does anybody know? Email me, publishing at gmail.com. I need to know. It's driving me nuts. What in the hell is Honey Boo Boo? Okay, so besides Honey Boo Boo, I do talk about other things on Twitter. Football. I like football. I talk about football on Twitter. And I talk about all kinds of other things. Movies, famous quotes, and I like to retweet some of my favorite Chuck Norris jokes. Like... Did you know that Chuck Norris was once bitten by a cobra? Yeah. And after four days of excruciating pain, the cobra died. 
That is awesome. And that's another thing. How in the hell did Chuck Norris suddenly get so big? We all watched that Walker, Texas Ranger. Actually, no, we didn't. That's why eventually it went off the air. But he wasn't that big of a badass, and suddenly, boom! Suddenly Chuck Norris is this immortal. Suddenly he's just this omnipotent being. And there are a zillion Chuck Norris jokes. Which is awesome, but... And remember, 10 million people are allowed to play World of Warcraft because Chuck Norris allows them to live. All right, I'm getting out of here. You all take care. In the words of Porky Pig, that's all, folks. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright.